that. Dr. Tam saying this morning, Dr. Tam, Teresa Tam, saying, quote, anyone who got the AstraZeneca vaccine, you did the right thing. You did the right thing, protecting yourself and those that you love and those around you. A lot of people worried about this, especially since now Alberta saying, well, we're not going to give this thing out anymore. All, all these concerns about AstraZeneca and uh, Science Sam, Science Sam, who is Samantha Yamin, doctor, uh, has had a, just a, a great thread on Twitter about this. And what she says about it is you made the best decision for yourself and your community with all the available evidence. Thank you. And please don't feel bad about getting AstraZeneca. Samantha Yamin joins us now on the program. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm just wondering if you can address the people right off the top, like me, who got AstraZeneca as their first shot and now are thinking to themselves, did I do the right thing? I want to tell anyone who ran to roll up their sleeve to get AstraZeneca, you made a great decision. This vaccine offers great protection with just one dose from the things that keep us in crisis mode. A Scotland study found it could have up to 94% reduction in hospitalization from COVID. So that is a really awesome thing to have in a third wave. So please don't let anything that happened last week make you regret the great decision that you made. Well, then piling on top of that, Sam, is what's happened in Alberta. Alberta says they're not going to give it out anymore. And I think that's just amping up everybody's concern and worry. I think that's a, that's a, it's a difficult decision. And I, I think we have to also remember that this is a, a global crisis and the adenovirus vaccines, Astra, AstraZeneca and Janssen J&J, they're really important in the global context. And they're going to be a big part of, they've already been a big part of what's helped the UK keep things at bay and hopefully going to help India. And I just don't know that it's wise for us to be saying that this really effective vaccine and overall safe vaccine that just happens to have one additional risk um, is useless. I think it's really an important vaccine. It's easier to distribute. So I, I really caution us in Canada to think about what our words and actions, how they impact the whole world because we're all really truly uh, in it together you know i think of the people who have you know the, the vips who got astrazeneca the minister of health in the province of ontario the premier the prime minister yeah. the prime minister's wife you know all of us right now are wondering like are what what are we going to get as our second shot or do we have to wait till we get more astrazeneca i mean what's your feeling on what, what is nasi going to say about mixing doses NASI follows the evidence. I think, you know, despite what happened with the communications, the work they do is really great and really important. Uh, we're all waiting for the results of the ComCove studies coming out of the UK, which have been testing pretty much any combination that you could think of between vaccines. Uh, first dose AstraZeneca, second Pfizer or second Moderna, second Novavax. They're really testing every combination they can. And so, um, of course, we have to wait for the data to see how it is, but I, I don't see any theoretical reason why um, it would be bad to mix uh, vaccine types. They both end up, they both lead to the same end result, which is your immune system learns how to recognize the spike protein of coronavirus and then fight uh, the actual virus should you ever come into contact with it. So it seems from the evidence that that's going to be approved. It seems like if you listen to the Minister of Health here in the province yesterday, that likely the second shot, she's sort of hinting, thinking that her second shot is going to be Pfizer. That's because we don't really have any AstraZeneca left, but we are 
getting more. So when we get more, what are we going to do with it? Is it just going to sit on a shelf? Is it going to go bad? I hope not. Um, I'm, I'm not, I think the key thing here is that people just need to be aware of the associated risks, which are rare, but can be serious. Um, I think there are some settings where it is just difficult to get Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, it doesn't just have to do with how they're stored, which they both do need to be stored at, at colder temperatures, but it also even what we call reconstituting, um, thawing it and getting it ready in liquid form uh, for Pfizer is a little more difficult. Uh, and that's where the AstraZeneca is quite easy. That's why you're seeing it. That's why it was the first to go to pharmacies and, and the first to be in some family care offices. So I think it will still be used um, because of these logistic, the logistic ease in, in that side. And um, I, I don't see, especially because there are many places in Canada that including here in the province that are still in a crisis mode. I mean, the low risk of, um, of these VIT or blood clots doesn't really compare to the high risks of COVID that we have right now. Speaking with uh, Samantha Yamin, a science communicator, can we just address the issue of scientists being lead communicators in a health crisis? I think in the province of Ontario, I think in the country, I think over the last 14 months or so, we have discovered the limitations of putting scientists in charge of talking to the public. What's your take on that? Um, I think that is uh, the question and a major lesson to learn from this um, because an infodemic, which is what we're all in, is defined by an overwhelming amount of information, both correct and false information. That's the infodemic. It's what we're all feeling right now. There's so much information. There's an avalanche coming at us. You scroll through Twitter and you're like, ah, this is a lot. That's what's happening. And when we don't have clear unified messaging coming from the top, the main, the main communicators that we look to in the country, um, it leaves gaps and rooms for people to add their takes. And a lot of scientists, that, that is what we do uh, on campus. That's what we do. We discuss every, every possibility, every confound, and we get into the weeds and nuance and debate. But I don't think it's wise to have every single debate on a very public forum with everyone watching. I think being transparent is important. But transparency can only happen with accessibility. And some of the conversations are just, you know, make, make just enough sense to scare people without the caveats and limitations to the discussion being equally clear. And it's just leading to so much confusion and mixed messaging. And I think it really shows us that science communication is valuable and needs to be valued in our society. And I'll just say my job is as a science communicator, but all of the COVID communications I've done over the last year have been on a volunteer basis because our society doesn't really value this type of work, which we got to change. I think that has just been brought home to us, especially when you listen to the chief medical officer of health here in the province of Ontario, Dr. David Williams has been a lot of, a lot of criticism that, you know, despite his qualifications and he's a dedicated public servant, but, it's very difficult to understand what he's talking about. It's very difficult to get a, a clear, concise answer or a consistent answer from him. Going forward, do you think that when, you know, when we're choosing our chief medical officers of health, whether for the country or for the province or even for the local medical officers of health, we'll have to say, no, no, you need to have a communications background as well. 
I think you need to at least have some training in, in storytelling, in communication, uh, especially risk communications, because it isn't easy. It definitely, there's a whole science field about best practices for communicating risk, best practices for communicating science. Uh, it, it takes a lot of work. I, I devote a lot of time to, to reading the best practices, to you know, choosing my words and what makes the most sense, asking people, what do you think of this versus this? Is it clear? Um, and, and I think it's wild to me that you can go through a whole degree in, in any science field and never have to take a single class on communications, not even a workshop that needs to change. And I think you know, science is not done until it's communicated clearly. If, if the people that it affects can't understand the takeaway message and it's not on their, it's not their fault. It's, it's because it's not being communicated clearly. I think that's a major problem. Let's just bring it back, Sam, to, uh, to AstraZeneca. Uh, and if you could just say a few words to the, those that are listening right now about a, you know, if they do get a call from a, a pharmacy in the next couple of days saying, Hey, we got a shot for you. It's AstraZeneca or you know, if you had AstraZeneca as your first shot and you're wondering about the second, can you just address that? Uh, just give some context and some risk management for people. If um, I, I do want to make it clear, the the risks of VIT, these, you know, these rare blood clots with low platelets, uh, it is possible after the second dose as well. So I want you to be informed about the potential risks. We don't have a great rate of how likely it is because it is so rare and we haven't given out enough uh, second doses worldwide to know. So do be aware that there are associated risks with both doses, but at the same time, also remember that that second dose whatever vaccine it is for your second dose is really important for the full protection, especially in the context of variants. So don't be too worried that you're not going to have options. I think in fact, you are going to have a choice when it comes to your second dose, weigh out what your risk of exposure is compared to how long you'd have to wait for whatever vaccine makes you feel more comfortable. Um, and know that either way, get a second, get whatever second dose you can and you feel good about because that's what gives you the best protection against the variants. Science, Sam, great to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for helping us understand this very complicated and nuanced um, situation. Thank you so much for having me on the show. That is Samantha Yamin, who's a neuroscientist and molecular biologist and goes by the handle Science Sam. You can find her online on Twitter, for example, at Hey Science Sam.